Hey guys, and welcome back to the Fill Your Boots podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Eddie Fuller. So those of you that don't know Eddie, I can't call you my physio because you're not my physio, but he's my, <laughs> he's my rehab S&C guy. Um, and I really wanted to get you on the podcast because I've learned so much from you recently about like training programming, obviously fixing all my injuries, but we're not going to go into that today. Um, Tiny little tweaks to my performance that has made like a world of difference. Um, And even if there are people listening who aren't injured, I sort of think you guys are going to gain so much from what you have to say. So thanks for joining me. Do you want to start by introducing yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm I'm Eddie. Um, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, I think. If I was having a fancy title, my title would be Rehab and Athletic Performance Consultant. That's that's my nice dressed up title, which I think is quite nice. But basically, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. The industry is very wild and you have all sorts of all sorts of different uh, ways of being a coach in it. Um, uh, about me, uh, I got into S&C coaching three, four years ago now. Uh, I've been doing the rounds in the PT CrossFit world uh, and then on placement as a student at Loughborough um I found <laughs> yeah that was first met um power based <laughs> my dreams are made of um that's where I got into strength and conditioning I started coaching some athletes there and then the rest is history I just went down just rabbit holes of learning um went through some different clubs some pro- professional clubs academies worked at school worked privately done the rounds a bit and then I've kind of found my little niche of I really like the rehab setting and approaching that from a strength and conditioning angle. So I guess that's a real, real quick rundown of how I've ended up here. Um, I yeah. think we can summarize by you're a nerd in this <laughs> in this area, which I love, by the way. But yeah, yeah this is why I need you on the podcast because you can literally just like, you're so passionate about it. You can just talk and yeah. I love that. So yeah, anyway. It's, I think it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> I am I am not offended at all when Phil says nerd. It's so true. I I love going down rabbit holes. I love spreadsheets and doing all sorts of numbers. Um, what was it when I came? Yeah, when I came round and to come help test you, and it was a Sunday morning, and you're like, he had his spreadsheets out all ready to go. I was just like, yeah, it was like eight cool. a.m. <laughs> on a Sunday. <laughs> uh, it doesn't phase me. I just yeah, so I just love it. I love um, and I think it's it's the process of problem solving. Like I just, I really like getting given something, a scenario, a problem and going, right, what's the next step? How, how, how do I take this to the next level? Whether it's learning more about like coaching delivery and how I can deliver it better or whether it's learning the science or the numbers, the data, and then seeing what that comes out with and then see what the result is. And then repeat, you just constantly repeat. I'm just, I've never, maybe it's the perfectionist thing (laughs) with me. I'm like, I'm just never, never settled. Yeah. (laughs) definitely not a bad thing um so I want to start off with something that I think is a very common mistake that I see people making it's a mistake that I've made that I know that you're helping me with and it's something which I think is especially prevalent in the female population um what I'm talking about is anterior pelvic tilt basically sticking your Mm. ass out a bit too much as you know um (laughs) I know it's not necessarily a problem in itself, but if you get kind of stuck in that pattern when it's like kind of like the only way that you start to move, that's when it can sort of become an issue, isn't it? So um, Mm. as someone who has, you know, you know this, I've struggled with sciatica for absolutely years. 
largely because of this problem because I move in that sort of way I get stuck in that sort of way and then I get issues from that it really grinds my gears seeing so many like social media influencers move in this way and the way they do it because it makes their bum look really good let's face it in videos (laughs) like they literally stick their ass out but the fact that people watch that and copy it really gets gets to me um Mm. so Eddie, would you be able to explain to me what I mean by that anterior pelvic tilt and how that potentially can cause issues for people? Yeah, so anterior pelvic tilt is referring to the orientation of the pelvis. So if you stood side on, exactly what you're describing there where people stick the bum out, anterior pelvic tilt would be, uh, I'm really showing, maybe showing my age now. Oh my God. Uh, Donald Duck. So it's like that Donald Duck pose. That's not a thing anymore, but what a sad time. So if you're sticking your bum out, um, that's anterior. So I, I do this because that's me like describing the pelvis. That's you, you sticking the bum out backwards is you tilting the pelvis forwards. And then the reverse is posterior pelvic tilts, so the opposite. And that's tucking your bum under. Yeah, so I think that ugly butt squeeze were... when you do hip thrusts, that's, that's your posterior. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> ugly butt squeeze or <laughs> tucking your tail between your legs, pretending you have a tail or um, the dog <laughs> the pooing dog i'll say that i'll be i'll be polite um they're your different uh different analogies or cues for for the posterior tilt so the anterior tilt is being stuck forward another way of thinking about it is if neutral so if we're stuck in anterior there's also neutral there's like a middle ground so that neutral is if your pelvis was a bucket of water and this is kind of a typical analogy you might get um if the pelvis is a book of water, anterior tilt, so if I'm facing this way and my pelvis is here, anterior tilt would be me tilting forward and the, the water spills forward and you stick your bum out. Posterior tilt would be, would be me trying to spill the water out backwards and me tucking my bum under. Neutral would be keep the water in the bucket. Um, and so then on to the second part of the question, like how, why can it cause issues? And you alluded to, alluded to it already of it's not that anterior tilt is a bad thing. It's it's required for a lot of movements, a lot of sporting actions, especially. But it's when you're stuck in that. If you're stuck in that and you can't come out of it, we need posterior tilt to be able to gain more hip flexion, um, to be able to be mobile in movements. If we're stuck in that, it can cause things like uh, limited rotation in your hip. So you get limited into uh, in certain movements like your squats and lunges. You're going to struggle getting into deeper hip flexions because you're stuck in anterior tilt. And then it also can sometimes cause issues. Sometimes people are fine with it. It's just kind of some, some look of the draw sometimes. But if you're in a lot of excessive anterior tilt, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the lower vertebrae of your spine. And that's where you can get some classic sciatica issues. Um, my anatomy knowledge is okay. <laughs> um for any physios here, they'll, they'll, I'm sure they'll have plenty more, but for, uh, essentially it's all those lower vertebrae right down at the pelvis where it starts to connect into your, um, into your sacral, sacrum joints. Um, you've got the L1 down to L5 and then S1, S2, um, S3, I think. Um, <laughs> I don't but, actually know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole point is, and this is why I don't get hung up on this specific anatomy, the whole point is we understand that we get into loads of anterior tilt. It causes those lower uh, vertebrae to go into loads of extension and put a lot of pressure on those nerves at the bottom of the pelvis. Yeah, I'm Googling it. I want to know if there's an S3. <laughs> <laughs> bear with, bear with. This, and it's, to be honest, it's a, it's a nice little point I always, I always think about and remind myself of is 
I try not to get too carried away with too much detail. People can get really hung up on the super specific parts, but understanding the concepts behind things. So I think it's important for people to be aware, especially like people out there, they don't care about how many vertebrae they have. That's true. (laughs) But a geek like me kind of wants to know. Yeah, Uh, I also want to know because (laughs) I feel like I've done myself a disservice. There's five. There's there's five. There's five. I was... I was going to say five, and I was like, nah, that sounds like too many. <laughs> um, so anyway, okay, there's five, five uh, S1 to S5. But yeah, so it's the idea of loads of anterior tilt. It forces all the lower vertebrae into extension. The reason it does that is because your body's always trying to stay upright uh, and trying to stay in its center of mass. So if we are sticking the bump out and tilting the pelvis forwards, if you kept the spine still or like, at the same relative angle to the pelvis, you just lean forwards. So you just be walking with this like really forward lean posture with your bum sticking out. So then what people do to counteract gravity, because then you just fall forwards. So they've got their pelvis sticks forward, they'd lean forward. So then to stand up straight, you go into loads of this lower back extension. And that's where you can get that kind of excessive pressure on the lower vertebrae. Yeah. And if you're anything like me, you get sciatica as well, which is yeah. a joy to be had. <laughs> yeah. Shooting pain right the way down my leg. Um, yeah, I've been there too. It's, it's not fun it's at all. It's really not fun. Um, cool. So if someone is listening to this podcast and they recognize that that is maybe how they're moving, um, yeah. where can they even begin to start fixing that? Yeah, so um, for starters, I guess I wouldn't get uh carried away with it's just little things and i don't mean to be nitpicky but i guess i am being uh don't think of it as fixing as much because it comes back to it's not saying that it's bad think about how can we loosen up and create i always think of it as movement options how can we give the body more options to be able to move if you've only got one option available one tool in the toolbox you're only going to be able to use it how can we give the body more options so for starters, the first step is see if you can move there, okay? There's one one big part of, of a lot of kind of rehab settings is um, can you actually, are you actually aware of the movement? Is your body aware of it? Can it actually do it? Is it just a learning thing? So look, think of those cues that I've just kind of gone through. Can your body do them? Can you try and tuck your tail between your legs? Can you do it stood up? Um, if you can do it and you're able to move into that position, that's a great start because it means you do have the ability to do it, the movement, uh, awareness to do it. Then it's just a case of right now. You just need to start kind of tweaking it and integrating it into some movement. So the starters standing and practicing doing it, then it'll be a case of, right. Can you try and hold it whilst you start doing a bit of movements and it will give you that awareness. So going into a split squat, can you actually, you might find that you're going to a split squat and it'll be quite difficult because you've got now one side of the pelvis is being quite stretched out on the front and back and the other yeah. side is the this opposite. This is when you're posteriorly pelvic tilted. So guys, like literally try this right now. Like go to your sofa, <laughs> try and have like a posterior pelvic tilt of ugly butt squeeze and try and do a Bulgarian mm. split squat. And let me tell you, it's hard, <laughs> really hard. Yeah, Bulgarians, Bulgarians will be really hard because... That's the th- a bit massive p- people uh, a massive bit that people underestimate with Bulgarians is they think the back leg up is getting just a nice stretch on the hip and then they're just going to absolutely smash their quad on the front leg. But what they can often do is actually if they don't hold the posterior tilt, they go into loads of anterior. And yeah, okay, if it, if the goal is loading the front leg, then so be it. But um, they actually aren't actually stretching out the hip on the back leg; they're actually just anterior tilting. Um, 
but yeah, so that's that's the first step. Is are you aware of it? Can you do it? Can you start having a go at integrating it into movements? And then the second step is kind of like more of the strengthening, doing specific rehab exercises. If you notice you just really, really can't move it, and I've seen this a couple of times with athletes where they're just really, really locked up, and no matter how much you say, you know, tuck your bum or tuck your tail between your legs or anything, they just can't move it. That's where you need a bit more of a specific intervention. So, for example, with you, you can do it. So it was actually more of just a, it was a motor control awareness solution rather than needing specific exercises to help that. It's all, those are going to help build some capacity, but that's where you kind of lied. Any ladies listening to this, like I, I highly recommend you to start thinking about like the, particularly with social media, like what are you actually looking at? Because I swear, like, not only training videos, but literally anything you will see with, like, someone posing in leggings or whatever, like, everyone is in anterior pelvic tilt. And if you're sort of taking that in and thinking, oh, that's how I should be standing or that's how I should be moving, like, Mm. it's terrible. (laughs) And you don't realise how prevalent it is, I think, until you have an injury and then you you look at everything. You do. Yeah, yeah. Even, like... (laughs) And that's always... Sorry, you go. Oh, no, sorry. I was going to say, that's what that's one of the first things we said to you is like, right, tell us everything. Like, how are you walking your dog? How are, And it's combining with your shoulder as well. But um, how are you, like, how long are you sitting in the car? How how do you sit in the car? Can you do that? Like, be aware of everything you do. And it it can almost get quite annoying because you're like, ah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> no, that's really good to know. Um, also, I recognize that I'm probably like the first quote-unquote bodybuilder even though I'm not bodybuilder Mm. but still quote-unquote bodybuilder that you've probably worked (laughs) with and we know on the whole that bodybuilders like to train with a bit of a bro split um Mm. what do you think that the standard person who is training a bit like that is missing from their programming okay good question um question (laughs) yeah it's a tough question I think from what I've seen, and this isn't just you, it's from the stuff, because the, the, a lot of the industry revolves around bodybuilding, because that's gym. Like, what I'm getting at is with the SNC world, what's really interesting is loads of SNC coaches, um, they'll develop programs and, and choose exercise uh, exercises for athletes based on bodybuilding the bodybuilding world because that's where it all originated it all, all these exercises originated in the gym barbells squats um bench press powerlifters as well so it's also i've seen a lot of that and how it's developed and then yeah looking back at it and it's like right well from how i've gone through an snc in the snc industry like what would i say i think it's looking at if when you understand a little bit more about anatomy and what you're really chasing if you can take a little bit of time to just learn a little bit of that you realize that you can get there's so many more exercises out there that can still accomplish your goal so people get hung up on like right what's the best optimal way of growing your hamstrings or your quads and they say right you need these patterns through these ranges of motion so you see like every bodybuilder that's doing science explained videos and you need to hit a front squat, a, a bilateral pattern, and you need to do a leg extension and this and that. And you actually get really constrained into a very small selection of exercises um, because you're really hammering those ones. So for quads, it'll probably be some kind of squat pattern or a couple of squat patterns, a back squat, front squat, hack squat, um, leg extension machines, um, 
I mean, that's probably what, <laughs> and some, some Bulgarians, uh, some, maybe some Bulgarian split squats. Um, that's probably it for your quads that typically I see. I don't know if you can think I, of any. I guess there are like lunging patterns that you'd see quite a yeah, lot. Yeah, a couple of different lunging patterns. Um, there's all sorts of ways you can do lunges as well. So that's, that's why I went with Bulgarians because they're going to be your most typical kind of split squat that people go for for quads. But that's like four, five, maybe six exercises. And you could do so much. Like if you look at the world of jumpers, they do loads of jumping and single leg work and bounding and they've got pretty nice quads. <laughs> um, and you look at sprinters and how they sprint and run and jump. Um, and they do all sorts of movements they're doing or Olympic lifters, they're doing Olympic movements and they've still got muscle mass. So you don't have to stick to that. And so what I'd say is my kind of main kind of overarching tip would be explore more movements um, loads of single leg movements, loads of different lunges. As long as you're overloading the movement and overloading the principles of hypertrophy, you're going to grow muscle. But what you're also going to find is you're going to have all this different movement variability. And it comes back to what I said earlier about options. You're also going to have all these options for daily life, um, joint health, uh, being able to do different activities, having different physical qualities that will help you in those things, being a bit more explosive or being better on single leg, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my, probably my main tip would be, can you explore more movement options with your exercise selection and your programs? Yeah, for sure. Eddie's had me doing some absolutely horrendous stuff. <laughs> I cannot lie. <laughs> uh, there's this exercise called razors, which sounds yeah. <laughs> probably as horrible as it actually is. Um, yeah. It's basically like a modified Nordic cow. Um, and yeah. it feels like your hamstrings are ripping off the bone. It's <laughs> good. Love that. Thanks. It's good. <laughs> that was cool. And it's, uh, but the reason for that, I can maybe going back to your exercise selection, but it's pretty much the same as an RDL if we're just hinging at the hips. But what the razor kind of helps you do is it helps you actually get into posterior tilt. So going a little bit back to what we we're saying about anterior tilt. The, the part of the reasons the muscle groups involved, if you're in anterior tilt, you, you're creating a loads of tension on your hamstrings. So if you can actually just do that posterior tilt, you'll find loads of relief in hamstrings. I, I find myself, sorry, I'm, I just do this subconsciously. <laughs> For those of you that aren't watching the video, he's just like tilting his hands constantly. <laughs> constantly. Um, it's, just, it's just natural at this point. I didn't even realize I was doing it. Um, but with your raises, part of the reason, like you weren't holding any weight. You, all you had as your lever, as the as the load going through your hamstrings was the top half of your body. So it's like doing literally an equivalent of a bodyweight RDL. But if you imagine now, like if you were to do a bodyweight RDL and just hinge, you probably wouldn't feel anything. So what the razor kind of does with the setup with the feet hooked in like the, like the Nordic is, and getting loads of posterior tilt, is it's forcing your hamstrings to do the work when typically in an RDL, you might sit back and just counterbalance. So you actually kind of make up for that with really heavy, really heavy weight on the bar. For those um, of you that want to know so what a razor is, feel free to drop me a DM on Instagram. <laughs> I'll send you, I'll enlighten you to this beautiful movement. <laughs> but yeah, no, I highly recommend people to try them for one, that reason with the hamstrings, but two, just as a, as a different movement yeah. anyway. It's fun to do something different. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah for sure. So aside from programming, let's talk about technique. How mm. important is it, both from an injury prevention perspective, but also getting the most out of your training? And I say this as someone like, I think 
even though I've had like obviously changes to my technique based on like trying to get out of that anterior pelvic tilt I don't think I've had bad technique but yet there's in the mm. past I'm saying but like now these tiny little changes have made a world of difference so, like how my body is actually responding to different exercises so yeah dive yeah. dive into that one for me yeah so technique is um where the way I kind of ended up getting to it is you, you start off especially and so thinking from a coach's perspective um or even sorry I'll, I'll even I'll start of, of from a from a just a kind of average the average Joe in the gym their perspective of technique is what you're told is technique's really important stay safe like that's pretty much the definition of technique and it's like okay don't do it badly whatever that means and stay safe don't get too much weight on the bar and you know try and sit upright in the squat like it's very generic that there's no real understanding behind it it's just be safe and you're fine and it's like okay what does that actually mean as a coach then going into the S&C coach world technique you understand is about about safety but also about actually getting the adaptation that you want from the exercise that's and that's as I went down the kind of rehab rabbit holes I realized how more and more and more that is important. Like fundamentally, you could prescribe any exercise. I could prescribe you a split squat because it could be really good for you. But if you don't do it in the way that needs to be done, you won't get the adaptation you want. So if we're trying to get, for example, or like the razors, if I gave you a razor and said, right, these are going to be class for you. They're going to be so good. Do a razor. But as an exaggeration, you just sit back and counterbalance. It's not going to do anything. So it's not just that technique's about safe. The technique is there to actually get the adaptation that you need. Um, and so then we talk about in a motor control rehab setting with you, like if it's you're doing these movements and you don't have that just general technique, one, you're not getting the thing that you want from it from a potential muscle building perspective. But two, if those things aren't doing the job, so let's say you're doing a uh, walking lunges, which we kind of, we dissected a fair bit, didn't we? Um, you're doing walking lunges for the goal of building glutes and quads, probably is the general kind of um, the rationale for it. But if you go through those walking lunges and like what we were pointing out, you might shift your hips side to side, you might um, bias uh, like sitting into it rather than leaning forwards onto the quad or whatever it might be, you're not actually going to get one, the adaptation that you want, like specifically loading a muscle tissue. If you want to build your quads, you've got to put load on the quad. But two, if that's not doing the job, it means something else is. And that's where we get overuse injuries and things then stand up, start to tighten up or overuse and become inflamed and you start to get issues and that's that's the main thing is actually get what you want and to stop other things doing too much work for me it was my lower back doing way too much work <laughs> but actually the cool thing about it is not only do I have less lower back pain now but I'm probably getting more yeah. glute gains which you know that yeah. has to be a positive <laughs> for us girls but like yeah well for everyone guys you need to focus on glutes as well i'm sorry but like all, all the girls that say we only care about upper body we don't we we respect a good yeah. pair of glutes just throwing yeah. it out there now <laughs> but yeah so if someone is listening to this podcast right now with an injury mm. 
what advice would you have for them? And I know that's so generic because you don't know what the injury is, but. Yeah. So what I would say is treat, um, well, okay, for starters, what I'll say is when you get injured, you think the world is over and <laughs> you go, you make a beeline for the freezer and go for the Ben and Jerry's. Um, once that bit's done, do it, get out of the way. It's totally fine. Um, once that's out of the way, think of the most logical structured process, like way back. And that's, that's the key with it. Having a logical, uh, mark, like having measured markers and being able to step-by-step step, incrementally get back what it's not. And I like to, you, or it's really, it's a lot easier in the sporting example, um, going through like right runners if if you get injured running don't just take two weeks off it feels better than go back into running because you've actually spent two weeks doing nothing and then you're jumping back into it and there's still that's it's a nice way of visualizing it because running seems it's a bit it's a bit like more intense on the joints and the landing but the same applies to gym settings if you tweak your back doing a squat don't just right i'm just going to take a week off or two weeks off or even longer and then just jump back into your heavy squatting because your body hasn't done it. It'll have kind of detrained from that stimulus and then you're going back into it. So we have this, um, this concept of like load monitoring and kind of more, it's more like a strength and conditioning kind of uh, uh, principle, I guess, but it applies to everyone. And it's your body right now, let's say you're an average gym goer on a bro split, bro split, whatever it might be, whatever your program is that you've been doing for the last couple of weeks or months, you've adapted to that and built some load at it. And so if you get injured and take some time out of it, I'm, I'm doing this because my hand is a line graph. <laughs> um, which way, which way? Um, I'm doing a line graph. I'll go this way. Is it mirrored? Or... Uh, well, I don't know which way you're pointing. <laughs> I'm pointing to my right. Yeah, it's mirrored. Okay, so I'll put it this way. Right. So, um, so if you're, you've got a certain amount of load that you've adapted to and whatever that level is, whether it's loads and you train two, three, four hours a day, whether it's just a little bit, if you get injured and you stop doing stuff, your body will start after a couple of days or a week, it will start adapting to the less load, to doing nothing, because the body does that. It's always adapting. And the longer you spend away from it, so you've come down in load, then if you just jump back straight into what you're doing, it's this big spike and it's like, whoa. And that's why you get mad soreness. If you've taken a week or two off training and you go back in, you get really sore. And it's all it is, is just the body's taking some time off and then it gets over it. The reason I say that is that we should approach rehab from any injury in any setting as how can we make that return back in, that spike? How can we make that as steady as possible so that you can adapt to it? Because one, there's the general soreness. You just don't want to go, you don't want to go crazy day one and get super sore. But two, we got to allow the injury to readapt and get stronger again. So if you've been injured and fallen off the cliff and you're down here taking a break, which is fine. You want to, so first step, number one is take at least two days rest. So if it's some kind of uh, like a hamstring pull or a muscle pull or a little sprained ankle, and there's a bit of swelling and inflammation, step one is take two days off. Uh, that's going to help just allow the healing process to occur. I was going to, yeah, I was going to um, dive in on that tangent actually and be like, what's your yeah. opinion on, well, you're going to say this, you, I know you agree with this, but like movement, it's medicine. Yeah. Like when you get injured, yeah. the temptation is just like do nothing. And so many people are like, just mm. stop moving, just like leave it alone. And actually <laughs> that's, that can be a really bad idea. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. And so what I'd say is the, the first two days allow it, like do do as minimal as possible. So for example, someone um, uh, pulled their calf who I was helping uh, advise and they pulled their calf and I said, right, two days, try to put nothing through it. Like try and hop around the house if you can, just let it, there's going to be loads of inflammation and swelling. Just let it heal, let it settle. You have to allow that that healing process to occur, the natural body's healing process. After about two days, for most injuries, all these kind of minor ones, if it's a ACL, is a big one, it'll take a bit longer. After about two days, majority of things will calm down. Once that mark that point's come where it's kind of settled and you want to do the typical things, ice, um, compression, elevation, um, if you're doing all those things as well, then it's exactly what you said. Movement is medicine. Get it moving. Start to try and see if you can walk on it again, whatever it might be. Can you restore normal movement? I have another tangent. Sorry. I keep thinking yeah. of so many questions. Um, That's good. I saw some research the other day about rice, specifically ice. Yeah. Is it like basically what I saw, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but mm. ice can obviously help with the initial symptoms of an injury, but it mm. can stop it adapting to actually getting better. Is mm. that correct? So, yeah, so the, <laughs> so the way that the main things I see with ice is ice will reduce swelling, which is what we want. The reason we don't want swelling is because it's going to inhibit muscle function. That's the main way I see it. Um, swelling, swelling is part of the healing process. There's going to be swelling because that's inflammatory markers being sent from the body and the brain going, right, there's been trauma, we need to heal it. So it's, it creates swelling to, because that's all sorts of things building up in the tissues and it heals. Um, the problem is, is so a little bit of swelling is great because it means that's healing. The problem is the, the body almost doesn't know when to stop. So it can keep swelling. And actually when we're trying to rehab something and we're trying to load those tissues up to help strengthen them back up, if it's still swollen and just not getting, we're not getting rid of that swelling because it's hard, if it's, especially if it's down like on your ankle or your knee, gravity's not helping it get, get rid of it either. Um, we want to use ice as a way of reducing swelling so that then we can get moving again because... As I said, swelling is reducing muscle function. It's inhibiting the muscle action. So you literally, if, if you've ever felt it, if you've got a knock on your arm or a big bruise or something and it's swollen, you can't, it's hard to contract that muscle. Um, if you had a dead leg, it's like it's kind of, you've had a um, big knock in your leg and, and there's, there's damage and there'll be some inflammation and swelling in that. It's actually hard to use the muscle and you need to be able to use it and switch it on to actually be able to fix, to, to strengthen okay, it Okay, so ice for sure. Um, period of time until the swelling is gone mm. and then get moving leave yeah. the yeah and then get moving and if you want a really intensive rehab like maybe in when you've got a really specific time frames you might use ice to go like look we need to we need to rest ice it hit it with a stimulus again and that's what we might do in pro sport but if you're hitting the gym every other day every day and that body part like okay maybe you need to do your rehab maybe ice at early doors but then then it comes to a point where once the swelling's kind of gone and if it's not swelling anymore but there's a little bit of discomfort from rehab like you're saying let it heal that that kind of soreness very low level swelling or inflammation is okay because that's that's the healing process occurring you can't it's not always going to feel perfect that's part of the process cool sorry that was my tangent you can you can carry on that's now right. <laughs> um 
Yeah, where were we? So we were in terms of the rehab process. So you've had Ben and Jerry, step one. You've had, uh, you've let swelling uh, come down. That's step, well, that's actual step one. Um, and then the next step. So once your acute management is what we call it, that acute management phase is over. Um, we've let it heal. We've let the swelling come down. And it, the next step is restoring normal function. So that means normal ranges of motion, uh, either normal to what a what you should have for your sport or your demands of your life or normal compared to the other side um, and also so you want normal ranges of motion both like passive so can you stretch it into that position so if I'd hurt my wrist it's like can I actually move my my hand back and then the next step is can you get active range so can you actually lift that joint into that position because um, and then that's after that, it's have you got the strength? So it's reduce inflammation, get normal function back, and then get strength back. As the process comes about of uh, getting strength, that's where you kind of go through almost like what people might typically see in like just programs anyway, where you go from like lots of high reps to building strength into lots of lower lower reps. Um, it's almost that similar similar idea. You've, you're coming back from an injury. You build capacity, so you've gotten function back, start to now do loads and loads of reps to build some capacity back into that joint, and then you start to increase the load and intensity through that and get it strong again. Cool. Makes so much sense. So much sense. And what can really help with that process, if I might add, is if you can then create as many objective markers as you can. So, for example, if it's, uh, let's say, let's use the bench press example, like someone's benching and they've hurt their shoulder. You know what you were benching before, hopefully, if you're recording your lifts and everything, and you've got an idea for different pressing movements and you know what you want to get back to. So like a, a barbell bench, a dumbbell bench, etc. cetera. Um, but you also, so now you're injured. The idea is, well, we want to get back to that. So how can we incrementally get to that? So once you start building strength up again, it's right, let's go really light on the bench like we've been doing dumbbell presses, alternating dumbbell presses and stuff like that, have that as a marker. So when you return, maybe you're only doing five kilos each hand on your dumbbells, but that's fine. That's that's part of the process. Build that back up. And it's just like any kind of strength program. So having the markers is really important so you can actually see the progress. Yeah. And that's the other thing that I would add, actually. Don't be <laughs> afraid to like do things that probably should be like easy to mentally it's quite hard to get your head around like if you get given mm. some rehab for instance at the moment I'm doing press-ups off of a wall which in my eyes yeah. I'm like this should be so easy but <laughs> <laughs> at the same time it isn't and actually having that simple appreciation for just going right I need to take this step back I need to do it mm. even though it feels stupid it feels mm. you know like something I feel like an idiot doing it in the gym but <laughs> I've got to do it so actually having that simple appreciation for starting there and then being able yeah. to build on that yeah for sure and it and it use it as an opportunity I always like to say injury is opportunity injury is an opportunity to um to try new things and to try other things it comes back to that explore other movement options um how can you work around your injury so and then you start to realize that there's so many ways of building muscle there's so many different movements you can do you can do what was it we, we did the other day when i gave you that, those press-ups rows uh, assisted pull-ups and all that and you couldn't even manage your accessories at the end because you got this mad pump <laughs> in your upper body 
and you hadn't done what you'd normally done, there's so many ways of achieving um, your goals and stuff. All I'm going to so, say, guys, is I mean, we have yeah, been doing 30 rep sets, which, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sorry, not sorry. <laughs> cool. No, I really appreciate your time today, Eddie. I honestly think people are going to find it so helpful. As I said at the beginning, like regardless of whether you're actually injured or not, actually just having the mm. appreciation for it and recognising that all these intricate little details are so important, not only for injury prevention, but actually for training well and getting mm. what you want out of it. Or it's really easy for us bodybuilders or you know, people that go to the gym to just look at like, I want hypertrophy. It's as simple as that. We don't care about anything else. <laughs> we just <laughs> want the gains. Um, but actually you could benefit so much more, not only from, as I say, an injury prevention perspective, but actually hypertrophy as well by looking mm. at these things. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. That's, that's great. Thanks for having me on. It's no, been thanks fun. for coming on. I'm going to link Eddie's details in the caption below. So if you need to go find him, if you're also broken like me, <laughs> go check Eddie out. Uh, he will just be a nerd and get you better, which is what we all need. So, my two guarantees. <laughs> cool. Right. Thanks, Eddie. No pleasure. You Thank you for having bye. me on. Bye. Yeah.